Welcome to Are you okay? Are you okay, Drew? That's What's my uh, that's my best uh, Dutch, which I believe is spoken a lot in. I might I might make some people angry. Actually, oh my lord! I know he's getting into Belgian language. Flemish. Yeah. yeah. Like Jesus God. Help me. Help me, Rob Zachney. How are you, Rob? Uh, not bad, but also I know it waters that I should I shouldn't swim in. <laughs> well, hey man, all I know is if it wasn't for the Americans, they'd all be speaking German. Wow, <laughs> wow! <laughs> Danny O'Dwyer is here in a room with me. I'm as trying to ingratiate myself. Might. Yeah, I'm trying to ingratiate, my sh- ingratiate myself to the locals here as I'm back in in the US of A in the same room as you. Which let me tell you, you made this. 10 times more complicated to actually record. Yeah, hopefully uh, our mics are good. We're recording on two separate laptops in one room, which yeah. might cause some echoey stuff. But Maybe. Uh, it yeah. certainly is in my ear as I listen to you both in real life and in Skype. <laughs> well, uh, we'll try to make it through. Um, to the end of this, the uh, welcome back episode from the Formula One off-season break. Yeah. Off-season for some, as we'll get to in the news. But uh, right. it's been a long drought for me. Danny, you've been in the dark. So to me, honestly, I've been in the dark. I was reading the news and freaking out. And then you said, save it. So most of this I do not know about yet. In the, in the words of Rob Zachney, don't burn pod. Exactly. Um, and the other thing was I was in Ireland for almost the entire break. So to me, everyone stopped yesterday. And I went because I went on vacation. Uh-huh. Know, it just feels like everything, you know, here time wise. That's heaven. Yeah, it, it was actually, it's pretty cool. I can't believe Spaz on this weekend. It feels like it only just started. So, yeah, looking forward to it. Uh, speaking of just starting, if this is your first mm. uh, Formula One race weekend or the first time listening to our podcast, um, we uh, we also have a preseason primer episode, mm. which assumes no prior F1 knowledge and gives kind of the lowdown on the sport and who everybody is and how it works and stuff. Uh, this year's primer is episode 59, if you want to go back and listen mm-hmm. to that. Uh, also, this show is supported entirely by our audience. Uh, you'll notice there's no ads at the top here. Mm. Um, over at patreon.com slash shift F1. So every month we release at least one uh, bonus podcast and bonus video exclusively for our patrons, which covers racing documentaries, films, uh, F1 video games, primers <laughs> for other racing series, and a lot of weird stuff. So if you want to support the show and get access to all that, you can head over to patreon.com slash Shift F1, or click the link in the show notes. Uh, this month was a little bit of uh, a cluster. Um, yeah, we all kind of got... Uh, yeah, I, I the, the positive thing was when I came back from Ireland, I had ordered, like, separately a bunch of different classic F1 games. Mm-hmm. So I have, like, all the PlayStation 1 PS2 ones, and I have the consoles to play them now. Um, but I, did, I was literally back home for 36 hours and had to hop on a plane uh, here, so I didn't have time to record... Uh, the game because news i'm moving back to the bay area as Whoa. well that's the, that's the other sort of uh, uh that's why uh, you're in my house <laughs> yeah that's why i'm here because i'm house hunting at the well, moment it's, it's his house now drew <laughs> is that right? how this like, works yeah like this is awkward um yeah. i'm actually oh. kind of thrilled though we're doing it on the air because it's a good huh. podcast but uh yeah uh danny's evicting you yeah uh, uh, Rob was telling me about squatters' rights. So while you were in Mongolia, I was <laughs> I was hiding in your in your bedroom. Well, uh, that'll make the, the podcast easier to do then. Yeah, exactly. Because uh, I'll be here. Will you under your bed? <laughs> uh, welcome back, everyone, to Formula One. It is time for uh, one of the coolest races, in my opinion, uh, of the year. <gasps> yes, Spa. But first, some very big news. 
Uh, starting with the showstopper, Pierre Gasly out at Red Bull, Alexander Albon in. The f- uh, yeah, I, I was, I was not. Xander. I, I was not shocked at the first part of that sentence. Uh-huh. I was shocked at the second half of it. Yeah, just assuming that Danny would be the one to fill the boots. Ricardo? Uh, no, Danny. Oh, Kivash. sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah. Danny Kivash. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, that happened a few days into the break. Okay. Um, and after Horner had said, "No, we're gonna we're gonna stick with him," yeah. immediately cut him loose, which is you know sort of the Red Bull. Wait, is he gone already? He's back to Toro Rosso. Oh, if they've already. Oh, sorry, I thought that they were saying at the end of the season they've actually no, done no. it. They've oh, done he's it. in. Alvin's in. They did for it spa, again. They did it, they did it again. Yeah. Oh my god. When was it that this happened with Daniel and Verstappen? Two years ago or three years ago? It was like when they. I want to say it was three years ago. Three years ago. Yeah. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. So if you if you work right with us then. Sochi. Yeah. They yeah. they they did the same thing. They kicked uh, Danny Kvyat to the curb and brought in. Max Verstappen from Toro Rosso, yeah. who then immediately won a race. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and now they're doing it again with so, uh, Pierre Gasly. Okay, you guys talk, tell me what's happened, because what, have they spoken about why it's not Kvyat? Am I crazy for thinking that it should be? or is No. Um, I feel like we were talking about that beforehand. Yeah, like, race fans did a piece about why that might have been, uh, why they chose to pass over him. Um, but the reasoning wasn't super persuasive, I would okay. say. I, I, like, mostly it circles around uncertainty with what they hand, have with Kafiat, and then a sense that Kafiat, at like, what we've seen from Alvin Kafiat so far suggests that Kafiat is has experience and is is doing well. But Albin may have a higher ceiling than Kafia, right. given what we've seen from Albin so far. So, why, if you're making this move already, um, why not? Since the year is already a bit of a mulligan, see what you have with Albin, and then you can figure it out in 2020. I think was the justification that uh, Colantine made over at Race Fans, which I find somewhat persuasive. I, my suspicion remains that a Red Bull continues to have a bit of a youth bias and Kafiat is now right. older and a dad. Uh, but <laughs> I think the other aspect of it is that Kafiat's last stint in the big team was so Hot and disastrous. Cold. Disastrous would be too strong a word. I think it's a little unfair to, to Kafiat, but at the same time, I think the pressure would actually be maybe more intense for him returning to Red Bull than mm. it is for Albin right now, as wild as that sounds. Yeah, and mm. I just, I think it makes sense as a, it makes it, it, it makes sense for me to see Red Bull doing this, because this is kind of their MO to, like you said, uh, prioritize youth, but also prioritize like the hotness and that's what Albon is right now. I mm-hmm. think he's been flashier than Kvyat. Um, they're they're pretty balanced on stats overall, but I think kind of the uh, there's a little more of a circus around um, Albon. I think people are more excited to to see him up uh, there than maybe Kvyat would be. And I think that yeah. kind of thing matters to Red Bull. Um, uh, race fans also pointed out that this will be. Albin will be the least experienced driver to drive for them since Robert Dornboss 
at the 2006 Chinese Grand Prix, I'm probably not pronouncing that correctly, mm -hmm. who had eight prior starts to his name, all with Minardi. Albon will have uh, 12 races under his belt. Yeah, that's, that's interesting quotes here as well. The the one about the fact that he only had 12 races under his belt, but that is essentially a, a full F2 season. Yeah, Jack Nichols, uh, the Formula E commentator, and he also does uh, work for BBC Formula One. Hmm. Yeah, pointed out that that's a that's a Formula Two or a Formula E season. Like he he had it. Yeah, he had his shot. Uh, and Red Bull is vicious when it comes to this stuff. And you think then, like, is there a place for him at Toro Rosso if they're so youth cultured and so? Because really, if if Albon works, then that's the Red Bull team. Mm -hmm. Like for Stappen, they're going to want to hold on to forever and presumably you know if album does a ricardo and after four or five years gets yeah you know, they can't always keep their drivers when they want to yeah i guess it's just then you th look what 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 is toro rosso at this stage it's not the youth team anymore it's kind of the has-been team mm. like it's the uh, dregs team not for long like you can move gasly out of there pretty quickly right so that's what i'm saying i think we will see probably that. won't stay right uh He'll he'll want to stay with yeah. with Taro Rosso. They'll pro they'll probably punt him. I would say you you keep Kofiat there as sort of your, uh, not necessarily ace in the hole because I'm not sure he's an ace card, right. but he is someone that you could turn over to be kind it's of a, a caretaker if things go yeah if if things go sideways. And then we talked about it a few weeks ago uh, on the you know on, on the podcast, but uh, Patricio Award. Is now a Red Bull development driver, uh, if memory serves, and I am probably way too high on this kid because I had, there's that there's that bias of like when you've seen someone be really good with your own eyes in one game, <laughs> yeah. you will probably convince yourself that they are you know they're the, the shit right yeah, yeah exactly yeah. it's it's sort of the curse of um for instance like why people continued to have ridiculous expe expectations of like jeremy lynn long after lynn sanity kind of ended right right uh so patricio award i i think we still don't know what his ceiling is what what we have in him but there are a lot of things that would appeal about him particularly for a series that is maybe trying to get a few more uh, faces from North America to compete in uh, in Formula One. So, I think from from the Red Bull standpoint, this is unfortunate, but probably not entirely surprising, and it gives you a chance to kind of re-rack uh, a development program that is the cupboard has gotten a little bit bare. It's uncomfortably bare right now. But I think, on balance, this this could ultimately be an okay thing for the team, provided Albin pans out. I think the thing that you get really nervous about is Albin does well, but not decisively, and you're still not sure what you have in him. Hmm. You really don't know what you have in Kafiat yet either. Really, um, you know, he's he's reliable in terms of he's he's racked up the experience, but. How how great is he? How stable will he be if he's put in a pressure situation in terms of good decision-making? Who knows? And then what do you have uh, behind him? Because you kind of rushed Max through your program, and that was your best prospect. So it's, it's kind of that classic, you've, you've depleted the development pipeline, and Red Bull's very committed to that. Red Bull's a team that is very hesitant to go out and sign somebody who didn't yeah. come from in-house. So uh, I think I think it leaves them in a in a bit of a weird place. I also think 
no driver is ever going to believe Christian Horner or Helmut Marco's assurances about what the team is thinking. And maybe I maybe I'm naive for having believed at all that they would at least somewhat try to stick by the things they had said, which was that Gasly doesn't have anything to worry about. He's our driver. We're going to see out this season. But they reiterated that repeatedly right up until the moment they fucking pashied him in Goodfellas, right? Where it's it's just, you know, where you're going to be a made man, uh, Pierre. Don't worry about it. That's... um, that that I think is the other the other legacy here is that I think Horner has always tried to present himself as a very chill straight shooter, and that was definitely an angle he took with Ricardo as he tried to sort of massage uh, his ego and handle the Verstappen Ricardo stuff. But it's a deeply political place, uh, as much or more so than any other Red Bull team. And the fact that they will give unequivocal statements of public support and affirmations about what they intend to do. These were not just like boilerplate statements of, we still believe Pierre's a good driver. These were commitments to keep him around. And then the minute they hit the brake, it was, you know, sorry, man, you're gone. Albin's in. Yeah, I, I think this is overall probably a smart move for Red Bull. Given, given, Gasly's performance. What I worry about, though, is burning out Albon. Uh, and like you said, they'll be left then with you know very few options. You're praying at that point that you get you you luck into a Signs and Norris situation, right? Where two two young dudes end up getting along pretty well, just as peers and teammates, and you end up getting kind of you get a happy team out of the deal but with the seat being this hot who knows yeah that's a good point the, the i think i wanted daniel there because it's like a roy of the rovers style you know having the two of them on the same team would have been you know that there are the teams that when there's that competitive nature between the the two drivers and that battle for driver number one that really like i don't know sets them both up to do well and then there are the ones that completely implode and maybe it's probably a wise business decision to not you know, flip that particular coin or something. Yeah. So I, I do think this is the pragmatic and probably like Rob was saying, like the ceiling on, on Albon is probably higher. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I think that's, I'm probably just more disappointed from a spectator's perspective for that story to, uh, that could, the, the could have been the redemptive arc of, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The same way we don't like watching Kubica, you know, flounder around at the yeah. back of the pack. It's kind of would have felt really good, you know? Yeah. Um, oh, speaking yeah. of, uh, George Russell just made a comment that things are great at Williams. He likes driving from, for Williams, but he wishes Polish fans weren't so mean to him. Oh, oh no. Man. Yeah. Speaking as the chief of the Kubica watch, uh, <laughs> I have to, I have to tell, uh, our, our friends out there that like, it's not George Russell's fault. Things aren't going well for, for Robert. We knew this was going to be a mm. tough season. We knew it. Everyone knew it. Uh, it's not George Russell's fault that he's, pretty definitively demolishing uh, Kubica in side-by-side head-to-head comparisons. But uh, anyway, speaking of side-by-side head-to-head comparisons, Haas has been running the last couple races 
they were running their Melbourne spec car yeah. and their Spain spec uh, car, a revision which had not worked out and which Grosjean had sort of called them on and said, it's just, it, we, need to, we need to run the old spec. Uh, at this point, at least for this race, Haas has committed to running the new spec, but heavily modified. Uh, so this is interesting because as far as I know, Grosjean still didn't want to move over to the hardware, to to the refresh they'd done of, of the design, he felt that the Melbourne spec was just a better foundation. Period. So I'm really interested to see how this pans out. Uh, but nevertheless, it it does sort of sound like this is kind of the moment where they they've been forced to commit to the development they've done and the ways they've tried to fix it. And so now both drivers are going to be. Uh, on the on the new spec, at least at least for this for this race, and I think they're implying moving forward, but we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I, I thought I saw Grosjean also saying that you know I'd like to see. I think he said I'd like to see the old lady back in uh, Singapore or right. you know somewhere three quarters of the way through the season. Um, that's so, it's so funny. He likes he just likes the original. He's like yeah. every he's like every internet commenter. Bring back the original. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it, it's it's funny because th- there were signs of it obviously being the. I mean, w- when combined with Grosjean's driving style, there were signs that it seemed to be working better. But it, they've been so inconsistent and so badly performing that it's not like it's a, a shoe in. And also, like the narrative for Haas of them, like eventually they have to fix the car. Like they can't always be on the old spec right. and start. I guess they can start there again, but. Uh, yeah, I think. I mean, I, I, it's it's so impossible to tell. It's just every race we've had this problem when we've talked about Haas and these, which the the two specs they're using. It's like I guess we'll see on race day, and it's the same thing again. Yeah, I guess we'll see in Spa. They're not the only ones uh, doing a lot of work in the off season, though. A Rob. <laughs> yeah. No, hmm. they're not. Uh, Mercedes apparently kept their entire engine department working through the break to roll out some engine upgrades. And this is an interesting case because engine development was specifically carved out from the mandatory two weeks, uh, like two consecutive weeks of development halting that that is required of all the teams, which, again, feels like one of those roles that massively advantages um, manufacturer teams. 100%. Yeah. So, yeah, once again, it's another one of those roles where... Uh, it, it definitely allows teams in the Mercedes Ferrari uh, league to basically continue to use their resource advantage where customer teams uh, really, really can't. Uh, so we'll we'll see what that we'll see what that does uh, for Mercedes. Well, as usual, they are starting to reach toward the panic button about the gains other teams have made on them across the season. This is the Mercedes thing that they do. Uh, it's very much like the Patriots in the NFL sort of always <laughs> acting like, damn, I don't know if we can pull it out again, guys. Right. Uh, nevertheless, <laughs> some balls. Yeah. Nevertheless, like this year, as they looked last this time last year, their car appears to be somewhat vulnerable and, mm. Uh, the the Red Bull in particular is making up ground on them. So, and apparently, like one of the issues with the Red Bull was that they just they built a car that was 
made under the assumption that it would not that Honda would not deliver as fast an engine as Honda delivered. Hmm. And so now that they are aligning their package with uh, their power unit reality, they're starting to really come on strong. And so Mercedes, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of this season left. Uh, you could if some fluky breaks could see them put into a bit of jeopardy. That being said, I have a hard time. I have a hard time seeing the path for a Mercedes collapse at this point. Got a pretty um, good lead. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the, them them spending weeks on engine development just seems like insult to injury. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of Mercedes, we were thinking heading into the break that we might see potentially some change up at Mercedes driver wise. Mm. Uh, Ocon Esteban Ocon waiting in the wings. Uh, for Val- Valtteri Botas's seat. The current state of the rumors, though, are that Botas would probably keep his seat at Mercedes um, and that Ocon might replace Hulkenberg mm. at Renault. Uh, Hulkenberg said something on his Instagram recently that um, uh, hinted at that or something. He said th- Thursday should be interesting or something right. like that. Uh, so, yeah, pay attention to... We'll try to keep the... Shift F1 podcast Twitter account updated. Yeah. Um, I don't know. What do you guys think of this? I think Hulkenberg has had... Hulkenberg has seemed like one of the more likely sort of... I thought I'd say elder statesmen, but like tr- well-traveled drivers who is probably... I wouldn't be surprised if I saw him in Formula E next year, put it that way. He's kind of like... Uh, I feel like yeah. he's he's coming up. He's he He's a pretty... He's a, he's a great driver. He's kind of like pretty reliable... He's never, like what Rob was saying about ceilings, I don't think his ceiling is as high as other drivers necessarily, and he's been around for a while. So, yeah, I after Gasly, if I was thinking of somebody who mightn't be around next year, it probably would have been him. Especially when you've, yeah, there's a couple of other drivers who I feel like would could perhaps do better in his car. Um, or, you know, or are better maybe future prospects than he is as well. I really like him. I, I like I have a personal soft spot for him, but I kind of feel like that, that feels like a good move. And then we had some emails about people saying, what about a Hulkenberg move to Mercedes if Botas decided to push over? And I, I, I would have been far more confident of Valtteri doing well in that car than I would Nico, I think. Hulkenberg uh, uh, is, yeah, I don't know. I feel like he's probably had his time at this stage, hmm. unfortunately. I have no, like... I don't think I'm ever going to know fully what to make of Hulkenberg. I'd have to really look back at his career in more detail because he looked so good early in his career, but mm. he was always driving inferior cars. And the argument was always that if he gets his shot in a championship contending car, we will see some things that he has the makings of a great. He never got that shot. Mm. And reputations end up sticking to you and he always ended up being one of those reliable guys who could make a midfield pack car a little bit better than it was does that mean that maybe there was a ceiling there we never got to see that you know had he been given an opportunity in a mercedes or a ferrari or a red bull or something that we might have seen uh flashes of greatness we'll never know there just aren't that many teams running an F1 that can currently have uh, credible shots at a championship, it does kind of feel like Hulkenberg, perhaps through no fault of his own, is going to get pushed out a little bit because he hasn't lucked into that season where he's broken out. Like, I think he's yeah. ended up in the Jensen Button category. Totally. I was just and thinking Je- that. 
Yeah, and, and Jensen Button too. was saved by a fluke of luck. Totally, right? like, yeah, yeah. he was in the right car at the right time. Yeah, yeah. If that if that Braun uh, if that single year with Braun doesn't come along at exactly that moment, and Ross Braun has, effect- has effectively hacked the F one rules <laughs> to make a like to to basically leverage a diffuser loophole uh, to make a car that nobody can keep up with, uh, I think Button ends up being one of those never delivered on his promise drivers and gets moved out. But instead, he wins the drivers' world championship that year. His only other contender was Rubens Barrichello, who was another one of those drivers. Whoever yes. sort of won that, whoever sort of cashed in that golden ticket, ended up getting, in Button's case, poached to McLaren. Uh, and then we discover that McLaren just doesn't have it anymore, and it's it's not a particularly impressive tenure there. I think that's Hulkenberg. He just never he he never had that opportunity. Um, I I think where this gets interesting is. How long are these contracts? His like, is up this year. Yeah. And then how long is Hamilton going to stick around in F1? Mm, he said yeah. a few things that have made me wonder, like, because he doesn't need to posture. Like, he can, yeah, I'm sure he can fight for a little more on, on his contract down the road. But there have been just a couple, a couple things he said that make me think that he can envision a life after Formula One. And oftentimes when guys begin talking that way, especially when their interests are as varied as, as Lewis's are, mm. um, I could see him not too far down the road being like, I think I want to go do something else and leaving. And then that's just, then all hell breaks loose. And so Hulkenberg, I think if he, you know, if he stays in other racing series, he, uh, he would be well positioned, I think, to make a return to fill in again one of those mid team, mid pack team slots uh, as it reshuffles. But I do think Ocon, if he 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 needed to get back in there because he's too good a driver to leave on the sidelines. Yeah, that's true. I'll tell you this much: the next season of Drive to Survive is oh going to be boy. Good. Yeah. By the way, we're recording uh, our final episode of uh, yes. of the Patreon bonus episode for Drive to Survive next week. So yeah. And we'll probably get that, that up pretty out. soon. Yeah. I think all the afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. Like maybe next week. We'll see. A um, couple more things on the news docket here. Formula One released uh, this cool video and a bunch of pictures from their wind tunnel. I guess yeah. it's, it's actually Sauber's wind tunnel that they were using a, a half scale model um, of the 2021 car. And it looks super cool. I am way into the look of this thing. Um, not only the shape, but the way that this model looks, because it looks like it was, you know, made in a NASA clean room <laughs> yeah. or something. It's all black with like rivets on it and stuff. It's kind of hard to tell what's new because it just doesn't look like an F1 car without a livery on it or something. I had to like stare at her for a while and be like, oh, okay, yeah, the side panel here is like crazy different. And I think it looks yeah. way different. I mean, there's so yeah. uh, so much fewer. Is that how you say that? <laughs> yeah. Um, stuff going on aerodynamically like it's just a sleek looking body i'll of course post a a link the photos of the rear end danny like if you saw that that's where you'd be like what the hell is that show me that Uh, rear end oh boy yeah it's got that low gate uh below the rear spoiler and it sort of hangs considerably behind the exhaust 
Um, and supposedly what that huh. does is as the car moves along, that sort of that, that, that sort of rear uh, gate at the back of the car creates a vortex that basically pull like that, that basically diminishes a great deal a lot of the heavily perturbed air. It sucks a lot of the heavily perturbed air coming off the car uh, be- through it. And settles it down a bit. Uh, right. Wind tunnel tests said that the downforce reduction behind this configuration was five to ten percent. So if you're following that car, uh, you would experience a five to ten percent aerodynamic downforce reduction, according to this wind tunnel test. Right. By comparison, in current spec cars, apparently the number is closer to like forty to fifty percent mm. in terms That's of a reduction. So. Yeah, so it's a really promising first wind tunnel test, but I think as we've seen in many places, this kind of testing, if this kind of testing were definitive and things worked <laughs> in reality the way they do in, in the lab, uh, there'd be a lot of teams doing better. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think they one more promising thing is, um, let's see, they're talking with um, uh, a guy named Nicholas Tum. Tombazis, who is the FIA's head of single-seater technical matters, uh, saying that um, they want to make sure that what the CFD is prediction, the computational fluid dynamics, aka computers, uh, is correct, <laughs> as the bulk of the work, 99% of the work, for these configurations has been done in CFD. So, you know, I like the fact that, that Formula One is saying thumbs up on this stuff, um, because it means that they're their guesses are kind of working out. Uh, again, you're right, Rob, that we'll have to see what that means on track, but promising start, I would say. I just think that car looks cool. Yeah. I want that yeah. car. Give me that car. Yeah. I'm sure they're finished with it. I'll paint <laughs> it with my Warhammer paints. There you go. <laughs> Shift F1. Rich, yeah. en- rich energy. <laughs> Wait, was there any rich energy dr- news while I was away? Uh, I don't think so. I think, no. I think they're still sponsoring Haas. Oh, jeez. All right. Well, something sponsoring Haas. Yeah. Yeah, the holding company that is about to liquidate all of yeah. Rich's remaining assets as a company. Uh, it has not torn up that deal. But yeah, I'm I'm uh, somewhat relieved that there were no gaudy new developments. Yeah. Uh, one more, I guess, Formula One adjacent development is that McLaren is entering uh, IndyCar mm. full time right. uh, in 2020, partnering with the Schmidt-Peterson team uh, that uh, Marcus Erickson drives for. Uh, right. He's been doing pretty well, actually. Yeah. God, cool. I haven't heard that name in a little while. I know. Yeah. So what was Mac- McLaren, were they responsible for the Alonso stuff when he was going over to Indy? Uh they partnered with, I believe, the Andretti team. Yes, that was right, yeah. Um, to basically paint a car orange and put him in it. Right, yeah. Which then, was that the time it didn't start or something? <laughs> oh, was like, right. It was yeah, already he, bad. That was for or he didn't make, this year. He didn't make the cut, right? Yeah, he didn't yeah, make yeah. the cut. Yeah. Um, Rob, you've been keeping up with some indie a little bit. Yeah. Uh, early word is that Alonzo's not interested in doing a full serious commitment to Indy. Uh, so... The thought of him being a McLaren driver over at Indy uh, right. continues to be elusive. 
the other interesting part of this is, uh, if I have this correct, so Schmidt Peterson, I believe, is running a Honda power unit. That deal is going to get torn up as part of this, and I think they're going to move to Chevy. Oh, yeah, huh. and my, I like what I've what I've gleaned is it seems like right now Honda might be the unit you want to be on. I don't know, uh, but obviously McLaren and their whole deal uh, that's that's not that that apparently is not in the cards. Uh, but yeah, I've been, I've been keeping up on the series a little bit more. Uh, they just had a truly ridiculous oval race uh, at Gateway in Southern Illinois. And it was a really, it was a really good race. Uh, Like kind of oval racing at its best and most chaotic, Uh, very little margin for error. The track was cooling rapidly in this Mm. sort of uh, cool late summer we've been getting. And so uh, basically like, where at the start of the race, tire wear was absurd, and cars that had been tuned for the warmer air temperatures were really competitive. Uh, as the because it was a twilight race, ran in the darkness, and so oh, as wow. the track cooled off, uh, cars that had been sort of struggling through practice and qualifying suddenly started coming alive, and the entire complexion of the race changed. Uh, the really funny thing is that Takuma Sato, who had a disastrous race, basically like went from he qualified in fifth and like by the end of like uh 10 laps he was down in 21st or something like that of a full lap down uh he ended up through a combination of his car improving over the course of the race and just getting lucky with some yellows he ended up uh in the lead with like 20 laps to go uh, on aging tires with a <laughs> with, with some charging uh, drivers behind, so it was it was a really it was a really good race and uh, a, surpri- a a a race that was welcome in its lack of drama. Uh, yeah. following a pretty scary Poc- uh, Pocono. Did race. you guys talk about Pocono? No, no, it yeah. happened in the break. Right, yeah, that was that was scary. Po- I mean, that's the thing, right? Like Pocono is a scary track. Hmm. Um, like there's the, it, it, there's a really, there was a really divisive discourse. In yeah. It the seemed to be some people are kind of saying that it's one of the tracks that they've been saying for a while is like, it kind of encourages overtaking, like you can't really put three across, but it's kind of like not enough. I don't know, like the, the, the makeup of the oval being that it's kind of just like encourages these times where they're getting a little bit too close. Well, yeah, so Elizabeth Blackstock has been really on top of this over at Jalopnik. Mm. Um, she, she does not like Pocono right. at all uh, as a racetrack. And she sort of unpacked this a little bit. Um, There's some good tweets from uh, former drivers, especially Sage Karam, explaining yeah. what it is about Pocono. Pocono is kind of an amazing track in some ways which is why I think people are loath to let it go it is a race where it is a track where you can run three three, three abreast hmm. you can make that work theoretically you should not try that but the problem is the track makes it just plausible enough that you can right. try to do it like and that's when things get scary yeah. uh, and so what you had was a and honestly, this was, this was sort of um, why Gateway ended up being a little bit of a redemption story for Takuma Sato in a mm. career full of 
fuck ups and and <laughs> redemptions. Um, this is the, the Takuma Sato roller coaster uh, rolls on. Uh, if you haven't followed him since since F one, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so he he arguably caused a major collision at Pocono. There are no minor collisions at Pocono, basically, mm. because the nature of the track is also uh, that it has a really low wall and some truly antiquated fencing yeah. around it. And so you don't go up into the catch fence and then redirected back onto the track and just rolled. What you do is you go through the catch fence hmm. and end up stuck on, on, on the wall, just, just sort of riding it at high speed, uh, and God knows what's going to happen. And then when they repaired the catch fence, they're using uh, bits of what appeared to be like just whatever fencing they had lying around, including for like crowd yeah, control Yeah, it wasn't purposes. a good look. No. And some zip ties, yeah. Was Rosenquist okay in the end? Because it looked... I, did he get brought to the hospital? He looked like the one that got... He went up into the... He was the one that went into the catch fencing, I think. Someone ended up upside down. Yeah. It was actually I, amazing watching some of the in-cars of drivers who saw it happen, who, like, one of them just, like, floored it, just saw that, oh, I need to get out of this because they're going to go over that runoff, recollect everyone, so I need to, like, pounce. Yeah. Yeah, it was yeah. pretty impressive. Yeah, everyone everyone was okay uh, at the end of that race. But it's interesting, uh, Max Chilton, uh, mm. who is an, an active indie driver, but he is refusing oh, yeah. to race ovals. Yeah. Uh, so I think there is a conversation we're probably going to have to have just about the future of oval open-wheel oval racing uh, because it does seem... It's just so dangerous. Mm. Uh, you know, if you if you screw up on an F1 circuit in general, that means your car goes off and across some kitty litter and maybe into a tire barrier. But what you don't have is your mistake propagating through a closely packed field of, mm. you know, 20 cars. Yeah, they've been back at Pocono since 2013. This is also the place where uh, Robert Wickens had his uh, crash that um, he is still recovering from. Uh, and it's where uh, Justin Wilson was killed in 2015. Oh, it, it was. All right. So it yeah. is. I mean, they even there's a there's an article from the AP uh, news here with a quote from the CEO just before this race happened. Uh, the CEO of the Pocono Raceway. He right. says, "Is this track inherently dangerous for race cars? Yeah, I actually think so." I actually think it's more dangerous than some of the tracks. Not all the tracks, but some of the tracks they go to. Right. So, like, even that guy is like, yeah, yeah. this place is... This place, fucked this place up. is rough. So, <laughs> I, I think he's kind of up against it, though, because the thing is, Pocono is... Pocono is dangerous, but... Oh, it, Pocono is dangerous because oval racing is dangerous. Pocono does make some of these risks worse. But, like, Justin Wilson wasn't killed because Pocono like I, I think you'd have to stretch to say Pocono is the reason yeah. Justin Wilson was killed he was killed because they run open cockpits and right that is a trend that is starting to disappear in in open wheel racing uh, in, and including IndyCar death. yeah they're going to introduce the Halo next year are they yeah. oh no they have the, the, the windscreen yeah the windscreen yeah. Yeah. so yeah so like his uh, his passing hastened the end of the open cockpits and now i'm not sure anyone ever considered whether like would a halo system have have uh saved him in that case i don't know mm. um 
it was a, it was a really freakish accident. But if so, there are risks of overracing that Pocono does make mar- like somewhat worse. And as a facility, it seems out of date. Um, and it does invite bad decisions by right. drivers that make it riskier in some ways. But I, I do, I do kind of have some sympathy for for Indy and their management because ultimately, if you're going to say Pocono's too dangerous to race at, I don't think you're very far from saying mm. well, what oval when you really boil it down isn't too dangerous to race at. And mm-hmm. as someone who loves IndyCar, I'm like I'm ready to have that discussion, right? Like I like I would miss the Indy 500 like hell. I'm, I'm I mean I'm Hoosier myself, uh, but <laughs> it would be like <laughs> definitionally difficult uh, for me if like the Indy 500 <laughs> went away. Like what am I anymore? <laughs> uh, but at the same time, like ovals ovals are scary as hell in mm. in open wheel racing and so i am uh, i am curious where this discussion goes or whether they can find ways to further re- reform and design uh crash barriers to make it safer it'd be a sh- it'd be such a shame in so many ways because obviously it gets access to you know parts of the racing community where ovals were built for years and mm-hmm. they don't have circuits necessarily near them and you know they probably are like many circuits not exactly you know flying with money they're just probably scraping by and they would be uh it would suck to do for those people um so yeah who knows the tricky triangle we'd like to keep it around yeah but uh yeah well, do, you feel, do you feel like time is catching up with some of this stuff yeah hmm. From the tricky triangle to the Battle of the Bulge, <laughs> let's take it to the Arden Forest, shall we, fellas? Let's do it. Uh, dig your foxholes, kids. We're we're in for the weekend. The we're Rus- gonna have to watch Band of Brothers now. I know it's yeah. We, we don't have the, who the German driver Sebastian Vettel. Let's not go go there. Uh, yeah, I mean it's we the the, the Belgian Grand Prix predates WW2 by quite a quite a bit. Initial race was in 1925 and a much longer uh, track. Um, the track as it is now is the uh, longest track in the F1 calendar. It's seven kilometers. Uh, this will be the 75th running of it. Huh. Um, so it really is in there with uh, you know Monaco and Silverstone as part of the sort of the classics. Um, it's had a lot of changes. It's been shortened a bunch. Um, it's had a lot of safety stuff implemented. It was often part of that whole um, conversation with, uh, in terms of the, the difficulty of uh, safety in, in the sort of uh, longer tracks, especially ones that have large sections of them that don't have you know people close to them. In, fa- in fact, Spa like still has a lot of that. The start of section three is almost completely on its own. There's no um, there's no uh, uh, spectators down that part at all. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's been uh, you know a mainstay of the of the F1 calendar for years. A couple of um, interesting highlights that you saw, I guess, is a video on the F1 channel that mm-hmm. shows off some of them. Yeah, uh, the uh, uh, 1986 is kind of when it returned for good. Zolder was used for a while. It also had a couple of spells as the European Grand Prix when it was getting bounced around various uh, places in uh, France and, and Germany as well. Um, yeah, the the insane crash uh, at the start of the 1998. Yes, uh, and the I guess the insane crash at the restart of the 1998 because there were two yeah. insane crashes. That whole race, by the way, is on uh, F1 TV archive. Fantastic. Yeah, um, I remember watching that live. 
but thinking I was watching a highlights package. I didn't realize. <laughs> I, t- I tuned in at the start of the first crash and then kept watching it. I was like, man, this is crazy. And then I was quite young. I was like, what, like 10 or something or 12. And then being like, oh no, this is actually, this is happening. This yeah. is completely crazy. Um, the uh, cool tired crashing into Shumi at the end of that race as well, uh, where Shumi said he famously burst into the the garage and uh, costed Cool Tard, young Cool Tard, early in his career, saying he yeah, tried, it's not just tried the, to kill him. Yeah, it's not <laughs> just the that race at the the front that is in that race. Yes, that that race is chock full of good I, stuff. I believe only eight cars finished, oh and two of them were like five or six laps back, including Cool Tard, who somehow managed to finish the race, even though he. Banjax Shumi's car. He took off the wheel, I think, in that in that shunt. He basically just rear-ended him. He didn't see him in the mist. Um, but yeah, it's a it's it's a crazy track. It's big and long. Weather often plays a massive part here because of the sort of breadth of land it covers, and I guess just relief rain. It being on a sort of a hill, massive topographical change on this one. Um, there was one stage where there was rain twenty years in a row. So where there was some rain twenty years in a row. Um, another one that came up on that video was the 2008 one where both, uh, I think it was Kimmy and Lewis were at the front and everyone was completely caught unawares on the wrong tires mm-hmm. and they were, you know, essentially ice skating around this track. Yeah. Kimmy crashed uh, on a straight or on the, I guess, the, the end of Blanchimont, which is a little bit of a turn. Um, yeah, super high average speed, lots of turns on it, lots of, com- like, combined turns lots of double apex turns turns that are going down hills turns that are going up hills you know radion and Rouge, of course being very famous uh but puhan this sort of like triple apex downhill uh almost like a barrel ride of a sort of a, of a turn with this huge um runoff area to the side of it just plenty of places for overtaking all over this place there's two drs zones but honestly it's it's you know, it's all over the place that, that the uh, overtaking happens. The the two DRS zones are the star finish and then immediately after Eau Rouge, the Kemmel straight, which is the longest um, straight in Belgium, not in F1. That's China, of course. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a super fun race. The drivers love it. Spectators love it. There's usually, I don't want to, We've had four good races in a row. You were saying before, mm-hmm. um, we those uh, that that France Grand Prix feels like another season ago at this stage. Uh, but Spa usually delivers something interesting, be it a you know a wet race or a dry one. There's there's usually some cool stuff going on there. So yeah, it should be a fun one. Yeah, and it's also one of those tracks that, for me at least, is visually distinct yes. from location to location, so it's easy to follow. Yeah, like I know what Eau Rouge looks like, mm. or you know whatever the actual name of that thing is. Um, oh yeah, we had the. I feel like every year we get into the Radiano Rouge yeah. conversation. Let's just Whatever. leave it off. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, Rob, what are your what are your thoughts on Spa? Yeah, I mean, Spa is my favorite track in the world uh, <laughs> oh, because <well. laughs> it is. Get off the fence, Rob. Jeez. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's the last of the great old European circuits. Mm. Um, like, I would even argue Nürburgring is not what it was. Yeah, uh, totally. Because they quite rightly made it a safer track. But one of the ways they did that was they made it a track that you no longer send a bunch of cars into the forest and then see which ones yeah. come out. Uh, and, <laughs> and and absolutely don't send safety crews uh, back there. Yeah, well, the uh, North Schleife was probably the most interesting part of that track in many ways. And the F1 calendar, the F1 version doesn't have it. 
Right. So, uh, like, this is the last one that still, I think, retains that fe- that mm. that sort of wild feel of um, I don't know. It always reminds me of you, you know the sort of design dichotomy between uh, like. British Isles golf links course design mm-hmm. <laughs> and sort of the manicured American like golf course. Yeah. And very much uh, spa feels like a golf links compared to a lot of modern circuits golf course uh, configuration. That's a really it's, good analogy. Yes. Spot yeah. It's, it's very much like one with the land. And that is hard. That is increasingly hard to find, and I think it also has meant that, in some ways, it's an easier course to follow because so many parts of it have been so consistent for so long that you you see a brief glimpse of a car at Spa, you have a very good chance of knowing exactly where it is uh, and and what's happening, and then the elevation changes, um, which. Yeah are kind of visually cool for themselves. The yeah. the run up through Rattle, uh, Rouge and Radion is really impressive. It's one of the coolest uh, sequences in motorsports. But also, because you have a track deep in some forested hills, the weather at Spa is so wildly changeable. Um and that contributes to a lot of really memorable races. While, over break, I finally got around to watching the uh, 24 Hours of Spa, the, oh, cool. uh, the GT race. And it ended up being rained, rained out for like eight hours. Uh, but that was still 16 hours of, of incredible racing. And over the course of that, that, that one 24-hour race, it went from like torrential downpour to like bone dry to downpour again like three or four times it was <laughs> it was incredible uh and the racing was good throughout i will say last year i feel like i talked this race up a great deal and it ended up fizzling a little bit um i don't think i think your odds of a good race are better at spa than mm. at a lot of other than a lot of other tracks because there are so many because there, there's a sector almost for any car configuration for any sort of strength uh, that that your car brings to the table. But at the same time, I think in this era of F1, it's it's really tough to say who's going to have who who's getting the most competitive uh, package. Uh, how close they are, are, are teams going to be able to run? I wouldn't. Uh, the the races I picked this season to be snooze fests. Yeah. have been terrific uh places ra- tracks where i didn't think there was any room to overtake have been incredible i am really curious what this one uh brings to the table especially with mercedes leaning hard on uh a slow corner aero package and an upgraded engine over a red bull that appears to have great arrow and great power um mm-hmm. i'm really keen to see that I'm really keen to see what the weather yes, is please. like yes, please. Uh, in Spa because currently it looks like on qualifying day it's going to be hot and muggy, mm. uh, low 80s Fahrenheit or uh, high 20s um, Celsius with a uh, fair bit of wind, 16 kilometers an hour or 10 miles an hour, but precipitation relatively light, 8% on qualifying day, but that jumps up to 20%. Mm. On race day, where it is drastically cooler, uh, mid-60s Fahrenheit or around uh, 18 to 20 
Celsius. So um, really could be anything. I mean, it's one of these tracks where it's kind of a microclimate. So yeah. things can change by the minute. Totally. Uh, but that's so that's a good collection of numbers altogether for yeah. me. I feel like the Hungary one wasn't that high either. And then it ended up, we got bunches of little pockets of rain. Because you don't, you don't, you also don't need that like full downpour. It's almost more interesting when it's just a little bit of rain mm-hmm. on you know the back of sector two or something. You know, yeah. Tire wise, uh, looks like we're, we got the C one for hard, C two for medium, C three for soft. Everybody uh, is taking one hard tire except for George Russell who uh, is hedging his bets with two. Uh, and most people are taking two or three mediums. Mercedes though going extra conservative with four mediums. And only eight softs. Uh, most everyone, including Ferrari and Red Bull, are going two two mediums and uh, ten softs. Can I jump in with the one email I've collected so far here? Okay. Um, because it, it pertains to this uh, in particular, and it pertains to Rob in particular. Uh, it's from Gabriel, who says, Hi, gang. I've been listening to last year's Shift F1 podcast, as I did not watch the 2018 season. And at the end of 2018 and the start of 2019, Rob seemed absolutely livid with the idea of simplifying the tire names from Hypersoft and Supersoft, etc., to soft, medium, and hard. I was very. It was a very uh, controversial subject for you, but I'm wondering how, now with half a season done, if this is still doing your head in, or if Rob forgot and now I'm reminding him of something he and he's annoyed of it all over again. Um, Rob, what are your thoughts? It sucks. Yeah, I- <laughs> it still sucks. Like, uh, I don't think. To be entirely fair, I probably don't have the expertise to say like ah. Interesting tire selection, George Russell. Well played, my boy. Uh, but at the same time, I do think... like I, I think there was a nomenclature problem where it was like, all right, here's the soft tire. Hmm. Now we got super soft. And hold on, let me blow your fucking mind, people. <laughs> Hyper soft. Like I think that's where it really started to get silly. Yeah. Uh, but I do think... Going from track to track, it doesn't really register with me as useful information because, like, when you know that, like, they're okay, they're busting out the, the hard tires for this one, that's implying something about circuit abrasiveness and such. Um, and the fact that you kind of keep obscuring that with the hard, medium, soft thing, if the entire uh, tire selection is shifted over to one of the extremes. Uh, that seems like useful information that should be readily parsable, and I, I think they've they've largely masked it. Yeah, just to recap here, there are five different tires of increasing hardness from well, decreasing hardness from the hardest at C1 to the softest at C5, but you can only take three of those to any one race, and whichever three of those you take, uh, which is decided by Pirelli. Um, those are called during that race soft, medium, and hard, hmm. which is, I think they did it because they wanted to make things more easily digestible for the casual race fan yeah. who just turns on the TV and they didn't want them to see like the soft, super soft, and hyper soft. What are we talking about here? <laughs> no, soft, medium, hard. It's easy for yeah. those dummies. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I I could see why they did it. Um, at least they, yeah, at least they do still show you, uh, what the compounds are behind the scenes. They should just have one compound next year 
Hail, rain, or sunshine, you gotta go. <laughs> Formula E tire. Those are your dancing shoes. You gotta hit the floor. <laughs> Uh, well, going into the weekend, let's take a look at the driver's standings. Lewis Hamilton on top with a commanding 250 points. Valtteri Bottas, his teammate, uh, quite a bit behind with 188. Max Verstappen, though, chomping at the bit, 181 in third Ooh. place. Sebastian Vettel's got 156, hmm. uh, the highest Ferrari. Charles Leclerc, his teammate, in fifth place with 132. Then we've got Pierre Gasly, which on the Red Bull or uh, the Formula One Reb- website says Red Bull Racing Honda. Hmm. 63 he'll he'll keep he his keep. points we had a question about this as well i thought it might come up with this he will keep his points and the team will keep the points that he has gotten up until now yes and then any new points he gets will be on his current points and any but they but they will go to toro also because we've had this happen before yes not just with verstappen but with other people turning up to be a one-off driver for somebody and then joining another team we've had that happen where right. like a reserve driver came on and actually went somewhere else okay um, yeah so uh, Sainz is in 7th with 58 followed by Raikkonen with 31 Kvyat's got 27 and Norris in 10th with 24 Daniel Ricciardo's got 22 uh, Stroll and Magnussen are tied at 18 Hulkenberg's got 17 Albon 16 that's about to change uh, Sergio Perez in 16th place with 13 points followed by Grosjean with 8 uh, Antonio Giovinazzi and Robert Kubica have 1 point tied for 18th place George Russell, the only driver with zero points. There you go. Kubica watch. Don't worry, Kubica fans. All your booing has worked. (laughs) In constructor standings, Mercedes way out in front with 438 points. Ferrari's in second place for now with 288. Red Bull's got 244. Mm. A lot can change between now and the end of the season. McLaren's in fourth place with 82. Solid. Uh, Scuderia Toro Rosso in fifth place with 43. Renault's got 39, Alfa Romeo with 32, Racing Point with 31, Gene Haas and team have 26 points. Uh, and Williams, just that one point from good old Bobby K. Better than nothing. Very true. Uh, also better than nothing, the Shift F1 Fantasy League. Oh, God. How you doing, Danny? Don't look at me like that. <laughs> uh, tenth place, uh, Tide. Ooh. Between uh, Scarrett Racing, or maybe it's Scarrett Racing, <laughs> uh, and Rich Volt F1 Energy Team, pending foreclosure. <laughs> then in ninth place, we've got Abject Failure F1, followed by Fry the Tires, Defcon 1, Alpha Emojis, Maca F1 in fifth place, St. Giovese Racing Team, Mercedes all the way, the Hamiltons break the system, and in first place, heading into Spa, Steering Wheel, Hey, hey, give it to me. Move. Come, Come on. on. Brilliant. Big yes. fan of that. Big fan of I think everyone, uh, you're doing us proud with your, with your team names. I'm, I am look forward to you saying alpha emojis every time. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, should we take it to some emails, Danny? I think I went through all the ones that I had. Yeah? Yeah, we've a, we got a, a bunch of like, I feel like people knew it was a break because they sent like, fucking essays like memoirs oh, so wow. there's, there's a bunch in there so thank wow. you all for sending them in uh, hey listeners like, what'd you say da- hey listeners danny doesn't want to read your shit yeah brevity is <laughs> hey. the sum of wit my good friend william shakesman said um yeah so they're they're give, give me next week we'll have some we'll i'll digest some of them and, and, and get them down i uh i really enjoy some often we don't read those long ones on the air but mm. 
Um, and a lot of times people just say, like, you don't need to read this, but I just wanted to tell you. Yes. I yeah. love getting those emails. Those are so, so cool. Yeah. So thank you, everyone. Um, so I guess that's us uh, around the email time. Do you want to take it around the world? I think it's probably thing? time to, and this is definitely going to get picked up by your microphone. Race around the world. I'm going I'm to try it again. I'm going to go back because I think I was probably too loud. Race around the world. I, I, I got rid of volume when I put the pitch up for some reason. Wow. That's really something yeah. else to witness in person. I need to do it in my own private place, Drew. <laughs> that's what we've learned. Uh, Formula 2 will be supporting Formula 1 in uh, Spa this weekend with their feature race on Saturday and sprint race on Sunday. Mm. The NASCAR Xfinity Series is racing at Darlington Raceway, LLC. Oh, darling. Darling. Let's go racing, darling. Let's go racing at the Sport Clips Haircuts Help a Hero 200. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Uh, IndyCar is at Portland at the International Raceway there. I'm going to be in Portland. I'm driving to Seattle tomorrow. Well, maybe you can stop by. Yeah, maybe. And not go to PAX. <laughs> uh, the FIA World Endurance Championship is at Silverstone for the four hours of Silverstone. Um, the World Rally Championship is at Circuit de Lohege. Lohege <laughs> for the Breton World Rally Cross of France. I didn't take French. In school, leave me alone. Um, You're doing great. And we got NASCAR. Oh, my. They're also at Darlington along with their Xfinity bros. Uh, for the Bojangles Southern <laughs> 500. Fantastic. Ah, you can't make this stuff up. <laughs> uh, Formula One also happening this weekend, in case you hadn't heard. Practice 1 starts Friday, August 30th at 5 a.m. on ESPN2. Practice 2 is uh, same day, 9 a.m. Following day, Practice 3, Saturday, August 31st at 6 a.m. on ESPN2. I'm sorry, Practice 2, that's on ESPNU. Of course, yeah. That's where everyone goes to learn about racing. Qualifying, however, Saturday, August 31st at 9 a.m. These are all Eastern times, of course. That's on ESPN News. <laughs> Jesus For Christ. all your qualifying news. Uh, and the race, everyone, Sunday, September 2nd at 9.05 a.m. Mm-hmm. on ESPN2. The Deuce! <laughs> yes. Uh, is that a typo? 9.05? September 2nd. That's that's a typo. It's on the first, Sunday. Okay. Thanks, ESPN. Phew. The day, it's their typo? It's their typo. Yep. Wow. Maybe they're showing it 24 hours later. There's a really good game of uh, High Ally on them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, thank you, everyone who wrote in Shift of One Podcast at gmail.com if you'd like to uh, send yeah. us an email or f1.cool slash emails. Still it's, works. It's like 50 50 now between the two of them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter, Twitter at Shift of One Podcast. Uh, I am at Drew Scanlon. Danny is at Danny O'Dwyer. Rob Zachney is at Rob Zachney. Um,. Yeah, looking forward to I'm I'm itching. I am I need to watch some racing. I watched a whole bunch of Formula Two. Oh nice. In the off season try to catch up. You watched uh, the W series finale? I haven't seen it yet. I did, yes. I hear it's really good. Good race. Okay. Um also uh this isn't I won't I won't say this in the context of the race. Okay. But um Alice Powell. Oh yeah. Uh I saw this news. 
one of the um, heading into that race. One of the standout drivers for standout sure drivers, that season. Yeah, uh, has earned herself a an IMSA seat. Awesome for at least one race. Um, I don't really know how that works. Right, and they and the super super point super license points came in as well, right? So a bunch of them that's happening too. for next. season. Oh, it is. Oh, I thought yeah. it was going to be this season too. Okay, yeah, but uh, that's great. That's exactly what this series was for. Yeah, cool. I, I, yeah. I mean, I think job well done. W Series did what it was kind of going to do for the yeah. first. You know, you can watch all of the races uh, if you have a VPN. <laughs> if you're an American, you'll need a VPN to do that. However, one of the races, the Reverse Grid in Assen. Uh, is up on there. It's really good too. Uh, YouTube. That's the one I haven't seen. Yeah. I need to watch that. That's so good. I will. I will link all of that in the show notes if you uh, like to uh, watch all that. Sweet. Get back into racing. Here we go, everyone. Rob Zachney, are you excited? Oh, I'm excited. Look at the look on his face. I can see it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, everybody. Have a good race weekend. We will see you all next week. Yeah.